This podcast is brought to you by Laterno University. Laterno University is the Christian polytechnic university in the nation where educators engage students to nurture Christian virtue, develop competency and ingenuity in their professional fields, integrate faith and work, and serve the local and global community. Laterno offers more than 140 undergraduate and graduate degree programs across a range of disciplines and delivery models at Laterno's residential campus in Longview, Texas, and in hybrid and fully online options at centers in the Dallas and Houston areas. Online at letu.edu. That's letu.edu. Hey there, it's producer Michael Miracle here. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast. We are your on-air resource as a workplace believer. And check out our website for tons more I Work For Him resources. We've got blogs and podcasts and reading material and all sorts of fun stuff there. Plus, a link to listen to the live show several times a day. Yep, head to the website. That's IWorkForHim.com. IWorkTheNumberForHim.com. And the listen tab's up there on the top left. Click that, then click the live link, and you can listen to us live every weekday. That's IWorkForHim.com. I work the number for him.com. And now let's go ahead and kick off what we all came here for, hearing more about connecting what we learn on Sunday with what we do in our 9 to 5. This is the I Work For Him podcast. Hey, welcome to I Work For Him. This afternoon as we brought to oh, wow, we broadcast you from Edina, Minnesota. That's right, in the boardroom of Tradition Capital Bank. Mm-hmm. Before we get to our guest, though, we do want to invite you to interact with us online at iworkforhim.com. That's iwork, the number four, him.com. We'd love for you to really to join the I Work For Him Nation, to start looking for ways to just really be intentional of bringing your faith to your work. Members of the I Work For Him Nation start to pray for their coworkers and employees by name each and every day. They look for ways to serve people. They look for ways to befriend people outside of the workplace. They look for ways to pray with people when they notice that somebody's having a rough day. But all along, members of the I Work For Him Nation are people who demonstrate excellence in the position that they operate within every day. It's my opinion that every Christ follower in the workplace should be the absolute number one best employee in your position. There should be no competition. Christ should be revolutionizing your life and you should be revolutionizing that position. Martha, people can also get a hold of us by phone. They can. So our I Work For Him listener line is 866-713-9675. That's 866-713-WORK. And there, Jim, they can, they have up to a minute to leave us a testimony, something they might have a question about, or um, on days where we are you know, offering things or whatever, that's a place where they can also connect with us that way. So we just want to give our um, listeners a lot of different opportunities. If they plug that into their speed dial, then they don't have to worry about it while they're driving. Um, I know that's one of the hardest things about listening to live radio or even podcasts when you're out running. I know a lot of people do that um, to be able to have a way to connect with us, um, whether it's on the website, social media, or actual telephone. 866-713-9675. Write it on your hand as you're running. That's a great one. I love that. All right. Traveling across the country, we meet all kinds of people from all kinds of professions who are learning to live out their faith in their work. People realizing that their work really is a calling. And for some, they're in charge of others and everyday worker. And some sometimes they're everyday workers within an organization. You don't, in order to be highlighted on our radio program, you don't have to be the CEO. We love hearing from people at all levels of organizations, 
whether you're at the bottom level working your way up or you're at the top working your way down, however it works. Today, you're going to hear the story of a business executive who rose up from humble beginnings in Nicaragua and the Dominican Republic to being the CFO of a brand new bank here in Edina, Minnesota. Marcia Malzan joins us today to share her story. She goes by Marcy, which is a lot easier to say than Marcia. But this story is made famous with her book, The Fire Within, Connecting Your Gifts with Your Calling. Marcy Melzon, welcome to I Work For Him. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here today. And if I screw up your name, all you got to do is correct me, Marcia. I like, That's okay. I, I'm going to get that right. Okay. So we always start off every interview, Martha, don't we? Mm-hmm. With asking this question, Marcy, how did you come to be a follower of Jesus? Well, I would say my parents, as a you know, Latino American family, we I was uh, raised Catholic. But when the charismatic renewal came to Nicaragua in, in 1977, I was, I was like 10 or 11, somewhere around there. Um, actually, I was a little younger. I really started my own personal relationship with Jesus. And, and I remember being baptized by, in the Holy Spirit and all of that. And I, I say my story is not one of those horror stories that you went into all these bad things and all that. And then I found Jesus. No, I found Jesus so young and I never let go of him. And I go with him everywhere I go. Like I say, don't leave home without him. That's me. <laughs> and, and that's what I say. You know, I, that's how I became a follower of Jesus. And now I'm what they call a non-denominational. I am simply a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I would consider ourselves pretty non-denominational too. We will go to just about any kind of church as long as they believe in Jesus and they preach the word and they believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Those are the kind of churches we can go to any time of the day or the week. All right. So you mentioned Nicaragua. That's where you grew up. How did the Lord move you from your birthplace of Nicaragua to the Dominican Republic and eventually to the U.S.? Well, this is going to be probably the longest answer to your question because it's the longest story and I'll try to summarize it for you, but it's an amazing miracle. Um, it, it all started in, in 78, 79 when the war happened. Uh, the, the revolution, the Sandinista revolution overthrew the 66 years of Mosa dictatorship. Mm-hmm. And we spent the entire almost two years during the war in Nicaragua and in June of 1979, my parents found out um, that the the revolutionaries, they were sending kids as young as 14 years old to the war. Mm. At that time, okay, my dad is an attorney and a composer. My mom uh, was a stay-at-home mom and then became an entrepreneur. They had six kids. Okay, at that time, the ages were 14, my older sister. I'm number two. I was 13, then 11, 10, and then two and a half and one and a half. So at that point, my parents decided to leave the country and we literally left from one day to the other. We had time only to pack a bag, a suitcase for, we have, well, we had like 26 pieces of suitcase. I count everything. So <laughs> That makes you a good CFO. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, so they heard that a Red Cross cargo plane was coming to Nicaragua to take out the people from El Salvador and take them back to their country. So we left two in the morning, went to a hotel across the airport, 6 a.m. We show up at the airport on the runway and the airplane is already going. You can hear the noise in the background and we're on the runway and the pilot comes to my dad and says, what are you doing here? My dad said, well, we want to get on the plane. We want to exit the country. At this point, there were no commercial airlines coming to the country Mm -hmm. anymore. 
So the pilot tells my dad, there's no room for your family. This is only for people from El Salvador. And, and then the pilot got busy. And my dad took that advantage and started sneaking in all these suitcases in the airplane. The pilot comes back and he finds this pile of suitcases in the airplane and, and you know, start asking around, whose pile of suitcases are these? And my dad said, well, it's, it's my family's. I told you there is no room. And then my dad said, I'll make you a deal. I'll stay behind. I'll exchange you suitcases for my wife and my kids. So the pilot said, deal. So all of a sudden they start this process of taking suitcases out. And there was a point where um, I was almost getting on the plane and my sister after me, the one who's 11, she said, you know, it's not right for our dad to stay back behind alone. I should stay with him. She's 11. So, and she's the quiet of the family. So all I saw... I'm getting on the plane almost. I see this little tear coming out of her left mm. eye and I'm like, that's not right. So I told her, get on the plane. I'm 13. I'm staying behind with our dad. So I get off the plane and I'm standing right next to him. He's to my right. Everyone else is in the, in the, in the plane. My mom with the kids and all that. And I felt this feeling of abandonment like I've never felt before you know when you when you get lost in your car completely lost and you have this feeling like oh my gosh that's how I felt but then like in a movie like my dad says he switched more suitcases and almost threw me in the plane so I'm in the plane didn't get to say goodbye and he's left behind with 25 pieces of luggage my suitcase somehow made it in the plane and we take off they shut the doors and we took off so at this point we don't know if we're ever going to see our dad again and oh. you know when you take off and you start seeing things smaller and smaller yeah. that's how i saw him and he had his hand on his chin sitting on a suitcase just looking around and years later i asked my dad what were you thinking at that moment and he said i kept telling myself save the family save the family save the family and he did but this is when i share this story in a secular environment how can I not mention the miracle that God does for us next? As I said before, there were no airplanes coming. But that day, one airplane, a passenger airplane, was coming from Argentina in route to Costa Rica, which is south. Mm. And guess what? They had one seat open. If oh. that is not God, I don't know what is. But yeah. that was totally God. And so they helped my dad. They asked him, get on the plane. And then he asked the Red Cross to ship all the luggage to El Salvador. And then we would get reunited there. Two days later, he shows up in El Salvador. We get reunited. The reason why we went to Dominican Republic is because my dad's sister, my aunt, married a Dominican. And they bought us tickets to go all the way there. They ate tickets. So a couple of days later, we show up in Dominican Republic. And... And we're going to hear the rest yes. of that story after the break. You're listening to I Work For Him as we broadcast today from Edina, Minnesota. And we're talking with Marcy Melzon. You can check her out online. Marcia, Marcia, Mar that's better the way it's. I could just say Marcia <laughs> Malzahn, M-A-L-Z-A-H-N.com. Of course, it'll be on our Facebook page. It'll be on our website on how you can connect up yes. with Marcy. Marcy, you are now getting flown to the Dominican Republic two days after you lo you left your dad, you get reunited in El Salvador and you get moved to the Dominican Republic. So we get there and um, stayed with my aunt at her house for about two and a half months. She rearranged her little office and converted to a bedroom with the baby. 
she put the five kids in the garage, a one-car garage in the Caribbean. This is June 24, oh. 1979. Well, it's not hot or muggy in June in the Caribbean. <laughs> all the bugs and the insects and the heat and all of that. But then, guess what? My cousin found a picture and all the kids, we were all smiling. Mm. The feeling of being safe and the feeling of freedom and that we that God saved our family. And we were happy to be alive and be gone, you know, from there. So two and a half months later, um, remember I said my dad was an attorney, is an attorney, and he couldn't practice law in Dominican because they have a different code of law. So they... Mm-hmm. He switched careers to life insurance. He started selling life insurance. He's always been on his own. So we decided, okay, now we can move on to an apartment. So we found a two-bedroom apartment. We're eight people. Hmm. A two-bedroom apartment and on the fourth floor of an apartment building with no elevator. Well, now it's August of 1979. And guess what? Hurricane David comes to the island and devastates the island. And I'm still 13. Right. So now we survived that. Guess what? Not one window broke. Hmm. We're on the fourth floor of this apartment. We know earthquakes because when I was six years old in Nicaragua, we also survived the biggest earthquake in Nicaragua. That's a whole other story. So now, I mean, this was almost 200 miles an hour. I could see the the uh, balcony uh, doors, you know, you know, almost bending. And we had like six inches of water in the apartment. Not one window broke. Again, God saved my family. And we spent the rest two or three months after that with no electricity and no, you know, water. So, and then, but we moved on. We all went back to school. Our lives developed there. And we were in Dominican almost seven years. While we were there, my parents met people that lived in the Twin Cities. That's the other key question that people ask me. Why Minnesota? Right. Well, <laughs> definitely. Why would you go from different. the Dominican <laughs> yes. Republic to Minnesota? Yes. So it wasn't by choice. It's what God chose for us. These people that were in a um, Christian community here, they went to a conference in Dominican, fell in love with my family, and they told my parents, um, you get the immigration deal figured out. We'll help you by opening up different homes for your kids to travel one at a time. And then you'll get reunited in the United States later. So my mom by, by then um, started uh, her little business as a jeweler. As a jeweler, She got mm. a jeweler certification in Miami, Florida. And we opened a business branch, a legal branch in Miami, Florida, even though we never moved there. But that allowed us, the parents and the two older kids, to come here legally. Mm-hmm. And... So we were able to work. And then, so my, all the, the siblings came at different times. My brother in, in the summer of 85 to start school. My other sister in September. My turn came in January of 1986 <laughs> to Minnesota from the Caribbean island of Dominican oh. Republic. January 1986. Okay, I for those, January for those listening that have no perspective, why are we all laughing, Jim? Well, we're laughing. well, first of all, winter. the Dominican Republic, we've both been twice to the Dominican Republic on short-term missions trips, and it is a it makes Florida not feel hot and muggy, it, it, comparatively mm. speaking. And Florida's hot and muggy. January, however, in Minnesota is dry. It's a dry, not a heat, but a dry cold where often you'll see temperatures on the legit thermometer, not wind chills, of 30 and 40 below zero. So probably quite an adjustment for a young lady from the Dominican Republic, Marcy. Yes. So I come here and I have the culture shock. 
I knew English. I thought I knew English until they all started telling me slangs that I didn't understand or speaking too fast. Um, well, it's Minnesotans too, so they're saying exactly. all kinds. We got all kinds of made-up words. Exactly. And you had to learn. You betcha. You betcha. Yeah. And especially <laughs> yes, you're right. So I started, and that's how I came. I came. My turn came in, in January, and then my older sister came in April. I was able to finish uh, a year and a half of college in Dominican Republic. And then my parents came in June of 86 and the family reunited um, in Edina here. And so that was a happy moment for the family. And that is the long story of how we came to the United States. So when you got to the Twin Cities, you had a degree from the Dominican. But how did you get into the banking world? Actually, I only had a year and a half okay. uh, of school that my school story is a whole different story. I It took me many years to finish. So the reason I started in banking is because I knew I liked three things. I liked working with people, money, and computers. And so the people that hosted me, they said, you might like being a teller at a bank. And I'm like, what is a teller? Do they tell things? You know, what do they do? <laughs> so I started applying and applying and applying. And you know how you get a bunch of no's. And, but somebody said yes. And it was the Marquette Banks, the owners of the twins, sure. uh, the Pollard family. Um, they, that's the bank that sure. originally hired me on 6th and Marquette, downtown Minneapolis. And that's where I started my career in banking in June of 86. Well, that was the year we, that was the month we got married, June of 86. So Marquette Bank, you started as a teller and you learned that you weren't, but really tellers really are tellers. They do tell a lot of things at the same time. They make their customers feel good. That's an, it's amazing how God did all of that stuff. When you, you came to, you're in a foreign country, you're learning a new language. Not only you learn English, but you're learning Minnesota English. How did you learn to let your faith play out in your workplace at Marquette Bank? Well, at Marquette Banks, I was there 13 years and I had nine different jobs. And <laughs> that's when, I mean, nine jobs in 13 years, that's a lot of jobs, if you think about it. I was a teller, then I moved, actually, um, then um, Reed, my boss, the one you just mm-hmm. met today, mm-hmm. he hired me to be his secretary in cash management in 1987. So I was in cash management working with his team for about six years, and then the bank was sold to a bigger bank and I had an opportunity to go um, to the other bank, but that only lasted like five months and eight days. And then I came back to a brand new bank, Market Capital Bank here downtown that the same family opened. And I started there in private banking and then online banking specialist. And then- But um, in all of those different positions, how was your faith playing into how you were executing? Okay, so perfect example. I wanted to go back to school so bad because I'm a learner and I couldn't because by then I got married in 88. Um, Now we had the two kids right away and I couldn't go back to school. One of the things that God did for me is uh, when I was an online banking specialist in private banking, I really wanted to go back to school, but our kids were really young and I couldn't. So I told these words to God. I said, okay, Lord, you're going to have to promote me with no degree because I can't go back to school. Three months later, my boss comes in and says, Marcy, let's talk management. And I got promoted to my first management job without ever being a supervisor. I became the branch manager of downtown Minneapolis for that bank. And the Lord immediately reminded me of my kind of attitude, kind of prayer. (laughs) Okay, Lord, you're going to have to promote me without a degree because I don't have that. And he reminded me of that, that I didn't need a degree on the wall 
and he's done that for me many, many mm. times repeatedly where he kept promoting me uh, to the executive levels. I didn't get my degree until later. So he always proved to me that with him, I am enough because he is enough and that um, I had to trust him to be promoted and he will open the doors. You know, we work hard, but he opens the doors and then you go through those doors in faith, knowing that when you feel inadequate, he will fill in for you. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the ways. And then I started also sharing my faith with my coworkers, including my boss. And to the point that where people were, they knew that I prayed for others. So they would come to me. I know you kind of pray for people. So can you pray for me for these? Uh, so that's how I started sharing my faith and not only incorporating God in my own career and, uh, but also with others. So, you know, that's one of the things we talk about often on the show. And Jim, you actually mentioned it earlier when we began the show is we have this thing called the I Work For Him Nation, where people never thought to pray for their coworkers before. And so we just put out that challenge. It says, you know, people need prayer and you can ask them, you know, what I see that you're down today. Is there something I can pray for you about? And then pray with them when the opportunity is there as well. So you were living that out just yeah. as a natural part of, of your faith. And how did people receive that? Well, it, it was awesome. I mean, at that point, um, you know, people started coming to me and either asking me for very specific prayer but then eventually when I was here you know later and as I as I grew in my career and in my job I mean I had to have my box of Kleenex ready and they would close mm. the door and we would literally hold hands and pray in my office for different things for whatever they needed and so it, it's been an amazing I've never been the the one that you know that here's my bible and you know no people just knew that That's I awesome. that I pray for them Marcy Melzon. She's here with us today sharing her story. And if you've just tuned in right now, you have missed a lot. You're going to need to go and listen to the podcast or the archive to get the rest of the story. So Marcy, you've been sharing with us how you were able to, you know, live out your faith in your office. People were coming in asking for prayer, really um, getting closer to God because of you and, and um, so many ways. But there was a point where you left banking and went to go work for your church. Why did, why did that um, change for you and tell us about it. There were a couple of reasons, but um, the main reason was back then, this was 1999, my kids were 10 and 8. Mm -hmm. And I was the branch manager and I was missing out. I was uh -huh. out of my home 60 hours a week. And in addition to that, I had my priorities wrong. I was career, family, God. Even though, you know, God has always been there with me and all of that, but I wasn't putting him at the top. So I said, Lord, I'm going to prove to you that you are going to be number one. I am leaving my career in banking. And, um, but I don't want to look for a job. So you're going to have to help me with that as always. So then a door uh, opportunity came, a huge opportunity. My husband and I used to volunteer at our church uh, in the focus group for the IT department um, for the school, which is where our kids went. They went to the private school that belonged to the church. And they were looking for a Y2K project manager. Oh. And I told the lady, I said, okay, I'm a banker, but I feel that I could help. I love technology. My original degree was going to be on engineer, uh, systems engineer and computer science. And, uh, and she said, okay, uh, this is great. This was 1998. And she said, okay, but I can't hire you yet until 
March of 1999, because that's when the budget kicks in. And I said, that's perfect because I need to stay through the end of the year mm-hmm. um, so I can earn my bonus as a branch manager uh, and uh, they don't pay it until the first week in March. So it was perfect timing. Oh, my word. And I became the Y2K project manager working part-time, 37 and a half hours a week yeah. versus 60. That's part-time, mm-hmm. right? So that's why I left. I, I really left my career and I wanted to pursue God first. And when my boss then uh, in private banking, she said, well, is there anything I can do to keep you? And I said, you know, I love this bank. I would never go to another bank, but I feel I need to go to the church. And she said, well, I can't compete with God. I have to let you go. (laughs) So I'll never forget that. And that's how I went to do the the Y2K project manager. And six months later, um, the head of finance passed away. So my IT director person got promoted to that position and they asked me to be the IT director. Hmm. Well, my husband is an IT professional. So with his help, I said yes. And I started that position. And a year later, the finance director moved. Uh, she retired and the pastor asked me to take over the IT, the, the finance director position. So now I'm an executive at the church. One of the six associate pastors overseeing IT finance and HR. And so that was an amazing, um, wow. you know, experience that I got. And by um, then you had there. passed the Y2K, right? Yes, and we survived <laughs> We Y2K. all survived. Oh, yeah. We all survived. Oh, with with oh, shining oh, colors. Oh, oh, right. So, Marcin, let me ask this question. So, you, so you've worked in a public banking environment, and then you work in a church environment. Which environment was harder to live out your faith in? Mm. Oh, well, you know, because I, I bring God everywhere I go, um, that's a great question because in the bank, in the first bank where I worked, um, it was, it was fine. You know, you still had to keep to yourself, you know, most of the time, um, in the church, it was, it was great because I freely could talk about God that you talk about God every day in, in business meetings, everything is about God in the church. Um, as far as work coworkers, uh, I am glad, you know, a church, it's still earth. Yes. It's not heaven. Huh. And that helped me to have that perspective that I'm going to work with what humans, not angels. Oh, <laughs> God. Okay. That's a very good perspective. Yes. So yes. that really helped me to build my relationships there. It was a little hard. I had to start from zero. I had no friends. Um, but this was a big church back then, 330 employees, you know, almost 10,000 wow, members. A huge church. Yeah. And in finance, I, you know, it was uh, handling a $34 million budget. I mean, it was a big organization. What church was it? Living Word Christian Center. Okay. So you had a lot of years there. Seven, how many years, how many years were you at the church? I was there five Five years. Five years. I have a question. Martha. One of the reasons you left banking was because you said you needed to get God back into priority. Yes. How did you do with that? Well, now, well, first of all, I did come through with my promise. I I moved to a church. I left my career and really um, my relationship with God grew more uh, because of that. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so I, I did keep my promise. And ever since then, God has been God, family, career, everything else. And I really feel that my priorities really got on track. Right. So, so your, your kids would say, okay, yes, we got mom back when you start working at the church. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And yeah. All right. But then your buddy Reed calls you and says, yep. <laughs> Marcy, how about banking again? Well, I, when I, when he first called me, 
I said, okay, um, this is your vision, your dream. He calls me and says, and he said, Marcy, I'm going to start a new bank and I want you to come with me. And we had worked together 13 years already. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we stayed in touch. The, I tell you, you can never lose your connections and, yeah. and keep your friendships wherever you go. So we stayed in touch those five years. He would come to the church for a business lunch on every month. So I said to him after several weeks, this is summer of 2004. And I said, okay, you know, um, this is your vision and your dream. I never dreamed of starting a bank, you know. Uh, and I said, but I'll do it for you. I said, I will help you. I said, but this time I want to be the CFO of the bank. And I want to, because I was like equivalent CFO of the church. And I said, and I want to learn to run the bank as a business. And he said, deal. Hmm. How often do you get that kind of opportunity? And, and then we started working on starting the bank and I left. Now I had built a great relationship with pastor, with the pastor. So when I met to tell him I was dying because I love the pastor, but I told him, I said, my mission here at the church is complete. I have fixed everything that needed to be fixed in hands, hired the right people, fired the right people, you Mm -hmm. know, brought, moved, whatever. And I said to him, my mission trip, my mission, God hasn't called me yet to go overseas or anything like that. My mission field is corporate America. That Mm -hmm. was the first time that I mentioned that. Wow. And I said, that's where God needs me. And, and then we parted ways in peace, of course, you know, and he let me go again. It's kind of like when God calls you, you have to go. Yeah. And if you don't go, you do the whole Jonah thing, run the other direction, but it never works out well. (laughs) No, he will in the end pick someone else, but you will miss out. So we are talking today with Marcy Malzon, and she, um, we're actually going to get to the point where we talk about a book that she has recently written, and you've written several books, and um, your website is M-A-R-C-I-A. Marcia. M-A-L-Z-A-H-N. And we will put that on our website, or actually it'll be on our Facebook for sure. So make sure that you check that out so that you know how to get in touch with her and see what other things she's written and what um, God's been doing in her life. All right, so you you start this bank, Tradition Capital Bank. Uh, that's where we're sitting right now at the at the board table. You've gotten this thing rolling, but eventually you left again. You left banking again. What are you doing today? Okay, so you fast forward, right? Uh, Ten years later, and I just felt when people ask me why did you leave and all that. Um, there are several reasons. Clearly, they miss you because when we walked through the door today, Marcy was mobbed by people, including the owner of the bank. Yes. So, um, in the end, you know, I'm a learner and believe it or not, in this position was the longest that I had been almost 10 years to the day. And it took me about eight and a half years to master my job. And then I got bored. It's like, I even told my husband, why can't I just be content to to coast? You know, I could do this and just grow the bank and be happy, but I don't, I thrive in new things and in learning and all of that. So that was one, one reason, but the most, the most important reason is that I wanted to leave again my career because remember when I left the, the bank first time, I told God I'm leaving my career. That's I'm now pursuing you. Mm-hmm. Now he gave me back my career and right. way more from teller to CFO, executive vice president, COO, and then chief risk officer. I mean, I had so many titles, I couldn't fit them in the business card. <laughs> so then, So he blessed me with all of those credentials. Okay, now I know why. Um, at this point in my life, then, uh, this was now um, summer of, or fall of um, 
2013, when I realized I had to leave, I have to pursue my calling, no more career. I'm pursuing my calling. And at that point, well, when I, wait, I'm going to interrupt you there. Yes. But clearly banking money, the dealing with numbers, that was, a, that's a calling on your life. Yes. So you just, did your calling change or did it morph? What God has been doing is that he's combining my giftings with my calling. So I can use my gifts with numbers and spreadsheets and budgets and all of that. But I have so many other gifts that now God is combining into one. And that is the reason, one of the main reasons why I wrote the book, The Fire Within, Connect Your Gifts with Your Calling. That book took me almost 10 years. To, to finish it. I finished it three times, changed the titles <laughs> five times, split it in half, took out six chapters and finally finished it. And in 2014, when I left the bank, I told my employees my goodbye speech mm -hmm. was when people ask you why Marcy left, tell them she left to pursue her calling and to pursue the dreams, all her dreams. And so now I'm doing three things. I'm consulting with financial institutions, I'm on banking related items, uh, strategic planning, enterprise risk management, which is a, a niche, uh, and then talent management, the people side. And then I'm also pursuing my speaking career, which I had been speaking for like 17 years for fun on the side. And now I'm doing it as a profession. And then I'm writing, which I started writing in, back in 2004, the year that I was leaving the church is when I got inspired to write my first book, Devotions for Working Women. Um, you know, a daily inspiration to live a successful and balanced life. I wrote that book to help other working women to, to strive for balance and to know that you can be successful at home with your marriage and your kids and also have a career with God's help. Yes. Marcia Malzahn is our, our guest today. She's an executive, a banking executive. She's a speaker, a consultant. She's a writer. Check her out online, marciamalzahn.com, marciamalzahn.com. That link, of course, will be on our Facebook page, Martha. So, Marcy, you were just saying right before the break about this devotional book that you've written. And I want to just touch on that just for a moment to let people know this resource is out there in, in addition, because there's a real shortage of books for working women mm -hmm. that help encourage them in their faith. So just give us a quick little 30 second what the book is really about. Well, because I have always been a full-time working mother mm -hmm. and I see and I struggle, it is very, very difficult yeah. to do that. Uh, and I stopped at two kids. There's some women out there that have more than two kids and they're right. working full-time and it's really hard. I wanted to uh, encourage and inspire other working women that, yes, you can be successful at home, have a successful marriage, uh, have a successful relationship with your children and also have a successful career. How do you do that? Well, the overall theme of the book is that you have to choose to be a balanced person. How do you achieve that? You know, that's a long term. Uh, I'm choosing to I want to be I want to have balance in my life. OK, because life happens to all of us on, on a daily basis. I always say balance is a daily choice mm -hmm. and balance is a daily prayer. And this is, again, one of the things of how God has helped me through my entire working life. And I would ask God when I saw my calendar and I was so overwhelmed mm -hmm. and I said, Lord, today, please help me. I can't do any more. And inevitably, 10 minutes later, someone would call me and cancel a meeting that would free me for an hour or two that day. 
they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I have to miss the meeting. I'm like, happy yes. dance. <laughs> so I'm thanking God because he answered yes. my prayer. And I tell you, I was doing that for my husband too, when he's, when he has a lot going on. And I'm like, okay, honey, I'm going to, I'm going to ask God to maximize your time yeah. and do whatever it takes and for you. And he started noticing the same thing. So meetings started going away and he's like, okay, you can stop praying now. I do need to meet with customers. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they can get this prayer. devotional on your website, right? Yes. And my, the, my, the, in the marciamelson.com website, I have pictures of the three books Yes. Uh, and they can click on the picture and go straight to Amazon Okay. or they can go straight to Amazon and just look for my name sure. or the book names and they'll find them there. Fabulous. So that was the reason I wrote I love this that. book. The book I got to preview is your, I believe it's your latest one, The Fire Within, Connecting Your Gifts with Your Calling. Is that your latest one or is that That's not your That's the second. One? That's the second one. All right. Mm-hmm. So, well, I've been given outdated material. <laughs> Hardly. Oh, but when Hardly. I look through this, you've got so much meat in here. This is, there's some fun stuff in here. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk about it a little bit. Why did you write the fire within. I mean, not that uh, it's not obvious to every listener that you've got some fire going within you. Why did you, why did you write this book? I think all of us have a fire within us and that is the desires of our hearts and it's the calling and it's that purpose that you have to find within yourself. No one can do it for you. And I also, the reason I wrote that book is to encourage people to find your gifts that God gave you physical, spiritual gifts, all of those gifts, and then start polishing them, making them better so you can use them to help others. I always say, we are all here to help others. You just have to find your niche. Who do you want to help? The little people, the babies, the old people, the, you know, the, you want to go to another country, the poor, the home, whoever it is, you have to find your niche of who you want to help. And I also believe that when you start using all your gifts to help others, um, you're going to find your fire, which is connected to your calling, your purpose, your mission in life. I, I always say in English, we have too many words to describe the same thing. It's all the same. It's that purpose, that unique thing, uh, reason to be here that God gave you. And he equips you with the right the, with the right gifting, the experiences, the skills, mm-hmm. and the people around you so you can fulfill that unique calling that you have. Mm. That's powerful. It's very powerful. Why is it important to realize that we have different gifts and that's okay? I mean, I love your example. I think yeah. it was your... I think it was your sister. You were, you're buying a house and, and you're like, how do I decorate this house? And she comes in, she swoops in and she decorates the place. You're like, oh, that's amazing. Why is it important to say that's okay that we have different gifts? I think it's extremely important because God, it, we need to recognize that God, the Bible says that God gave gifts to all, mm-hmm. no exception. We all have something. We all have a gift to give to others. So it's important in two ways. One, well, many ways, but two ways now that I'm going to share. One is um, you need to be proud of the gifts that you have. For some reason, people, especially in the Midwest, I don't know, they think they're bragging when they say you're good at something. Mm -hmm. It's totally okay to say, I'm good at that. I can help you. It's for that purpose, to help others and share those gifts, not because you're such a big deal. And on the other side... You need to be humble to admit and say, I'm not good at that. I need help. Mm -hmm. So it goes both ways. And God, when I was writing that, God showed me that he did give me all the gifts 
but just not to me. They are distributed amongst everyone. So then together we complement one another and we, we share those gifts to achieve our own calling and the calling of Christians as a group, as a uh, united group of, you know, humans, um, to fulfill the, the great commission. Mm -hmm. We all do that. It works in the, in the grand scheme of things and it works at the personal level. That is such a great way to explain it because um, the fact that so often pride gets in the way and we don't want to receive those gifts from other people because we think we should be able to do it ourselves mm -hmm. and vice versa. And so what a beautiful example. And I know that was right in the first chapter to just yep. really set the stage for, yes. um, for what you have to share. So do you use this book, Marcy, to, um, when you're consulting, is this part of helping people through figuring out what they're supposed to be doing? Well, yes and no. In a way, when I do, I'm doing, I do executive coaching uh, and I do bring that up mm -hmm. uh, and I work with other tools like the strengths finders, for yes. example. What are your strengths? What are your gifts? Where are you good at? Because sometimes you can be good at something, but you don't enjoy doing that. Right. I'm great at cleaning my bathrooms. And I don't want to do that. For, <laughs> right. So my husband does a great job in the yard and he doesn't want to do that for a living. In fact, sometimes they say <clears throat> when you, you know, to be careful not to, you know, your hobby, don't be, make it your business because then it's not fun anymore. Because right. You have to do all the other things that go with running a business. So, you know, we really have to learn to understand, you know, I'm, I'm good at many things. Uh, which ones do you really enjoy and love doing? Uh, that's where your passion is. There are tons of women out there listening to the show today that have loved hearing your heart and your passion for how you've balanced being a mom and a wife and an executive. Speak to them today. Encourage them today. What are some of the things that, that you did after you realized that God needed to be a priority and then your family, really your husband and then your, your kids and then your work? speak to them out there. Those women that are struggling with that, we talk about the wonder woman complex where they think they just got to do it all. Uh, how uh, speak to those women out there. First of all, um, I am not wonder woman. I am not even close. I am not the Proverbs. You don't have a cape on that is for sure. <laughs> I am not the Proverbs 31 woman, which when we compare to that, we fall short. Um, but together you can do way, you can do it together. You cannot do it alone. Um, also, uh, one of the main things, my message when I speak to women is it is okay to not be superwoman. Mm -hmm. It is okay to, uh, to not be perfect period. Yeah. And, uh, but knowing your gifts will help you be successful and also choosing it's a daily. Remember I said balance is a daily prayer. You need to ask God for help every day to take over your calendar. We plan, let God change. Do plan, uh, ask God for help, ask others for help. And it is also a daily sacrifice. In my case, I sacrifice my school. And remember I said, I'm a learner. To me, not be able to go back to school was huge, but God provided um, learning opportunities through work. Right. I was always learning. And then he did give me my gift later to learn. Um, and, and if we have time, I'll share my school story uh, in, in, in a summarized way, but my main message for women is to, which is the title of one of my next books, uh, believe in yourself because you're worth it. Mm. Mm. God believes in us and we need to believe in ourselves and it is okay to be you. You are unique 
and God made you unique. God already loves you. He believes in you and he, he's entrusting you with gifts that you need to use to, to help others. And don't be afraid to ask for help. It is okay. We are good enough. And that is a message we're not hearing from the culture we live in. Mm -hmm. You know, we think we need to be perfect or nobody else can, can, uh, you know, compare. Yes. And so that's a great message for women to be hearing. Unfortunately, Marcy, we are out of time, but we are so grateful for all that you've shared. And we want to encourage people to connect with you online, marciamelzon.com. Marcia Malzahn, M-A-L-Z-A-H-N.com. Marcy, thank you for being on I Work For Him today. And thank you so much for having me with you here today. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field, but ultimately, I, I work, work For, for him. him. 